It's really good to be back with you. And thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be here. It's, it's a great opportunity. Love being with God's people. I'm, I'm the guy that starts churches around the country. We've, Jackie and I have, um, if you weren't here last week, we've been church planning missionaries for 23 years. We um, are faith-based, and uh, we have helped uh, God's people start over 140 churches in the United States, not counting thousands in India, Costa Rica, Canada, and other countries. So that's been a real blessing. And in that, one of the, one of the, um, how would you say, disappointing pieces is that we don't stay. It's like, I start them and I leave them. Um, we started about 25% of those churches were started by people like yourself who just want a church in their community, and we train you to be the church planter. Unlike Chris and Robin starting this, um, it was started by groups of people. We've done that too. So in overseas, you see that happen a lot, is you have uh, people come into faith in Christ, and two months later they're starting their own church. Uh, it's rapid. It's among people that have never heard the scriptures, and they don't understand, they certainly don't understand the Western church, which to their, is probably to their benefit. <laughs> it's amazing how we get stuck in our own stuck, and our own stuff. But it is a privilege to be here. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to be speaking this morning from 2 Corinthians 3. If there's any book in the Bible, if you had to nail me to the wall as to which of the books of the Bible I love the most, there's probably two uh, one, First John, because I came to Christ that morning um, at, at my home church. Uh, I hadn't been to an evangelical church, I don't even think ever, until I walked in that church, came to faith in Christ, and went home and sat down and opened to the back of the Bible, saw First John, and I read the last paragraph of chapter 5. And so I read the whole book backwards, and then I read it forwards. I don't know how, I couldn't stop reading it. God had transformed me that morning, but that was my introduction into, you know, God and his church and so on. You know, for years as an unbeliever, I used to tell people I've read the Bible before. Well, I never read it. I heard a passage or a familiar song or something, but that's about all I ever did. So the Bible just came alive to me. I got hung up on 1 John 1, 9. It says, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive thee of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and I realized, man, I got a lot of sins. And um, it was so beautiful for me to be redeemed that day. I still can't, never forget it. But if I read the Bible, the, the book of Second Corinthians carries a special meaning, uh, not just being in ministry, but go, just going through life. <laughs> you know, uh, life with a lot of unknowns, a lot of uncertainties. You have challenges, financial challenges, relational challenges, the loss of loved ones. I've lost ones dear to me, and I, I, I still have questions. I'm sure you do too. Uh, there's uh, the way we've been treated at work by jobs, by people we work for, by people who work under us, for us, and around us, and we sit there wondering what is going on. And then in the midst of all that, we're dealing with our own fears and uncertainty, and I don't know about you, but our own inadequacies and insecurities. My father is 92 years old. We still don't, I don't, he doesn't know the God like you and I do, but he was raised in that kind of God-fearing home, but he's so insecure and fearful. 
and um, filled with anxiety. He could sit there and he can work himself up into a tizzy and nothing flat. But we do that too. And we know people that do. But those feelings of inadequacy really overwhelm us. When the worship team read that scripture, 2 Corinthians 3, um, just that first section, first three verses, I just started weeping. There's something significant about understanding what it means to be Christ-centered. When, I, when we coach guys and teams to start churches, we coach them to start a church that's Christocentric, not churchocentric. It's not about the church. <laughs> that's part of our problem. Um, it's, it's not about the word. Uh, Christ is the word, and I've got pastors that will parse that and say, well, he's Logos, therefore, no. But when you have a Christ-centered church, everything you do say and live and everything comes back to him be the glory, not this church, and certainly not a building. You're the church. We're the church. We walk out of here. This is just a building. It's got the name of a church, but it's no more church than the mailbox is a mailbox without mail in it. <laughs> you know, it's... it's uh, fascinating. In this chapter, it's wedged between uh, Paul in a situation where he's having to defend himself, his authority, his apostleship, his honor. Um, He's had people talking about him. I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you. But and and so he's defending himself. And I'm going to read, we're going to go through 2 Corinthians 3 but I'm going to tie it into this chapter 2 and chapter 4 so, so you get the flow of it. If you've ever um, uh, listened to the Bible on audio, there's something therapeutic about that because you get the whole flavor of the whole book or a whole chapter, not just a narrow passage. I'm not going to preach on the whole Bible, but I, I just want you to grasp that. In this chapter 3, why Paul's trying to defend himself in his honor and the fact that he really cares, that he had to defend that he actually cares about people. I mean, you know, I had an elder, a wise old guy, Howard, named Howard Haas. Howard was a good old fly fisherman. He went home to be with the Lord in 89, good life. He had, I think he had three bypass surgeries. I mean, he's, he just, he, he loved his butter and his cheese and just, you know, just, he was just a nice guy. But Howard used to tell me, Pastor, Perception is truth. See, I'm a words guy, and I'm a fact guy. You tell me something, I'm going to remember it. Um, I can read between lines if you give me enough time to do it, but I'm going to remember what you say. And so when people would say something that I did or I didn't do, and I, you know, my first reaction is, well, the facts are right there. He said, but yeah, but people aren't listening to the facts. It's their perception of the facts. That's a, that's, a, that's a tough one for me to get over. And so when I read this passage, it centers me into where I should be centered, and that is Christ. He says in verse 1, Are we beginning to commend ourselves, or do we need, as some, letters of condemnation or recommendation to you or from you? You are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ cared for us, written not with ink, but the spirit of the living 
God, not on not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. That says a lot. Paul here, in the sense of of understanding where his confidence comes from, said there's a new appeal. That new appeal is transformation. And it's centered in Christ. If you and I are born again and we've received Jesus Christ as a Savior, you are a letter of Christ written by God's Spirit on your heart. Now, that sentence I can back up with the Scripture for every concept you hear in there. Isaiah talks about how our names are written on the palms of his hands. I mean, the Holy Spirit has sealed our redemption when we receive him as Lord and Savior. We are his. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, you're no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. We're not our own. We still want to live like it's our own. But God has saved us. Christ's sacrifice bought it, and we entered salvation by grace through faith, and we see it lived out in dependence on the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's what really what we should be doing now. So God did a work in us. This transformation doesn't mean God is trying to remake the old you. It's like the silly story I heard one time of a guy who bought a car, had no motor, and everywhere he went, he, put, he would push it. He wanted to have his own car so bad. He'd push it up the hill, push it down the hill, around the corner, take it to work. Take it, he'd even take it to the gas station. It was just ridiculous. It's a, it's a silly, um, stupid, if that's a loud word, but it doesn't make sense. But a lot of us do that in life. To understand transformation is to understand that there's a new life in us. The old's gone. That old man that you're trying, God isn't trying to remake the old you. He isn't going to make you weird either. But he's going to make you shine like he he shines, Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's what Paul's saying here. So we tend to settle for how other believers act. And how do other believers smile? Um, as a pastor, people would say, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing fine. I'd say, how are you doing? They'd say, fine. And I said, no, tell me now, how are you really doing? Well, just take it to another level. I used to get teased about that. But we give all the, these little Christianese words and comments to people and, you know, we could be dying on the inside. I remember a, a mentor of mine from Moody Bible Institute. He started the graduate school there. He was a graduate of Dallas. And I remember a student saying that to him. And he pulled that student aside. Listen, he said. It's just how you talk to him really direct. He, he said, I need you to pray for me right now. He said, I'm going to a meeting. I'm really bummed. I've had a very difficult day. Can you pray for me right now? He scared that student to death. <laughs> me what, what would happen if we were really vulnerable about how we are and how we're really feeling at that time when people say that? And have a time to put our hand on, our sho- on their shoulder and pray for them. We used to have one of the things we used to do as elders in my former church is that people mention something, don't say you're going to pray for them, put your hand on their shoulder, ask permission, and pray for them right then. It, it changed our church. Because people were really getting cared for right then, and um, it was just a beautiful thing to see. So we tend to settle in 
for how other Christians are supposed to behave and act. Uh, That's why some of the young people today, and and I I get this a lot when they want to start a church, they're, they're so against what they call the old Christian church that they see in America. It's stale, it's not alive, and they, they, they give all these things. And not, now, that's not, it's a generalization. But there are places where the church is really alive, and there are places where the, the church should just be, dig a hole and let it, let it die. There are denominations that are actually going around, and because their polity allows it, their, their politics and their governing, where they are shutting down churches and giving the money to younger guys to start new churches because of that. Sometimes we settle into what we always have done and we're really not living like God's Spirit might want us to live at that moment. Not that we're doing anything wrong. We've just conformed to a way that we do things. You know, the, the, this, this hit the early church in Acts chapter 4. You've heard this verse. I'm sure Pastor Chris has uh, preached on it before. When the, the disciples had been arrested for preaching the resurrection, because you just didn't do that back then in the church, in, in the, the religious community. And they were beaten, released, and all, all, all the religious guys started talking about what they saw. He says, these guys are uneducated. They're untrained. But we can tell that they've been with Jesus. So many times in a local church, people would tell me as a pastor, Pastor, I can't do that because I'm not trained. Or I don't have enough Bible knowledge. Or I don't have this. Well, wait a minute. Have you, have you been with Jesus today? In, in my 18 and a half years of pastoring churches, I have never, I want to make sure I said this right, I have never told my worship team what I was preaching on. They were really frustrated with that sometimes. And I just say, listen, especially went to a new church. I said, I, the last church we pastored was 121 years old. It never had grown past 60 people. It was about 110, 120 when we came, but they had these four different worship teams, and they all took a different Sunday, which is fine. I loved it. And I said, listen, all I want you to do is open up the scriptures, seek God that week, and ask him what he would want you to bring to the people that Sunday, and just do it. When we had our going away service, you know, wherever you know, a pastor goes, you've never experienced that here, but in going away, everybody talks about the pastor's wife and all everything they did. One of the things that came up is they could, people kept remarking about how the worship services flowed so well. Well, we never organized them. We just listened to the Father of what he wanted to say and allowed it to flow, and it's amazing. I sat here, Jackie and I were commenting about how the music and the message and everything flowed together. You haven't heard the whole message, but you'll see in a moment. <laughs> but I'm rejoicing in my heart thinking, this is really cool. You know, God's still building his church. And that's the fun thing about this. And so the, the way you grow in your faith is by, uh, so Romans 10:17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So it's letting the word of God penetrate you every day, your mind, your heart, however you do that. Scripture tells us in Jeremiah 31, he said, but this is the covenant which I will make declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and on their heart and I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. They will not teach again, each man his neighbor, each man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. 
for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, and I will remember them no more. This is the promise of future transformation. Uh, Paul's, it's really significant here. It's manifest, you are a manifestation of the letter of Christ to the world around you. As your heart is transformation, as your heart was transformed by the living God, and you are born again into a new hope, a living hope, it was done by the Holy Spirit. I know maybe you've been with people before and they just, have you ever anybody, anybody at, um, ever asked you what's so different about you? That's, that's God showing through you even when you don't feel like it. Because again, we're, we're just the vessels. It, it has nothing to do with us. That's another prob- problem in our Christianity. We've kind of have felt like um, it's really, you know, church isn't about us. It's about the living God and worshiping him and, and serving him and yielding our lives to him and just being his, his vessels to those around us. And when he's called us, Ezekiel, the prophet wrote, I give, uh, the Lord said, I'll give them one heart, put a spirit with them, and I will, take, I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. that They may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances. Then they will be my people and I shall be their God. The work of the Holy Spirit in transformation. It's incredible. When you look at Titus chapter 3, the well-known verses 4 through 7, it says, when the kindness of God and our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. It has nothing to do with us. But according to his mercy, by the watching of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly, richly, through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, he would be, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. My father, he's been trying to figure out this evangelical thing for 40 years since I walked away from the car dealership. He says, so what's so different between you evangelicals and my church? I said, really two things, Dad, very simple. First of all, I know I'm forgiven. And I said, second, I know that when I die, I know where I'm going. He goes, nobody can know those things. I said, yes, they can. And I've quoted scripture to him, and of course he's quoted scripture back to me, so I'm still trying to figure that piece out. But the idea here is it's, it's, it's all about God and what God wants, what God's doing in us and in, in transforming us um, from the inside out. It's about being rather than doing. The doing's good. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. But there's something about being a believer rather than just doing it. We had a... Um, a uh, there was a cult years ago that blew apart, and a lot of its little, uh, it's it actually the Worldwide Church of God, maybe you remember that. Uh, 75% of it splintered in these little groups, and the other third came together because they finally believed in the deity of Christ. It's now called the Grace Communion Fellowship. They're planting churches and reaching people all over the world. It's just amazing what God did when they came face-to-face with the reality that Jesus is the living God. But our neighbor used to come to us and said, you know, he, uh, they, they were sick and we took them food. We said we were praying for them. He said, well, all good Christians pray. You say, well, all good Christians share. All good Christians. I mean, that was, all good, he was saying verbally what most of us do mechanically or by rote as good Christians. Cut yourself sometime when that comes to your mind rather than dealing with how you're really feeling at the time. 
like, Lord, you need to forgive me right now because I don't like that guy. And you're asking me to do what? I mean, that, that, that's real life. And that's what transformation does. Transformation is about the work of God's spirit and that we are, you know, as we face those unknowns, those uncertainties of life, it's, it's the reality that Jesus is, con- if he's doing anything, he's transforming us into the image of himself. So that you and I are showing Christ to all that are around us. So that's that new appeal. It's that transformation. There's also a new attitude found in verse 4 and 5. Such confidence we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of the new covenant, not as the letter, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills and the Spirit gives life. Uh, this, These verses here set me free early on in my walk with Jesus, because I came to Christ at 29. I had a lot of fears. I ran a car dealership, and I was afraid. You know, I used to delegate my sales meetings because I had a stuttering problem. And um, I would start to twist, I'd talk so fast, my, I'd fall all over my words. And my salesman would giggle at me, and, you know, I, I didn't like that. I was embarrassed. When I came to faith in Christ, four months later, God called me in the ministry. And one of the things dealing with was, well, wait a minute here. I'm not an eloquent speaker. And God told me the story of Moses. Um, I'm feeling weak all the time. And God talked to me about 1 Corinthians 2, about the Apostle Paul. And so I, God started dealing with my heart. But one of the verses that set me free is the principle found in these three verses here is that I'm not adequate. That's okay to admit that. I'm not secure. It's okay to admit that. I do deal with fear sometimes. I do have anxiety, just like you. And you know what? It's okay. Because when God calls us to do something, he also supplies the wherewithal to be able to carry it out. And it says here in this verse, he says, we are not adequate in ourselves consider it as anything coming from ourselves. Our adequacy is from God. Again, it's all about Almighty God. It's not about us. You and I can be confident and be okay. We don't have to walk around in doldrums. We can actually be happy. Thanks, Jesus. Thanks for what you did here. Uh, we're, we're, we're representing the new covenant to those around us. It's Christ in us, the Spirit in us working. But understanding that our adequacy and our securities come from Jesus. Be focused on Christ. That's why the spirit, it's so important to understand. Um, I had another mentor of mine, one of my elders in my church when I came to faith in Christ was with Campus Crusade for Christ, or they call themselves crew. And because of 1 John, I would confess my sin the minute I sinned, and I felt like I was doing it all the time. He said, he just gave me this little bit of advice. He says, when you confess your sin, have you ever looked at Romans 6 and then take one step further and just yield yourself to the Holy Spirit's control? It changed my life. That's the message of Romans 6. Wow. It set me free. Realizing I you know, I just get my eyes off myself and let God do what he wants to do, even in my stuttering, if I stutter, 
even in, if I blunder it, even if I say the, the wrong thing being socially awkward or something, you've all been there. But this is where it comes back to God showing his glory off in us and through us. There's a new attitude. There's a new inner confidence. But it wasn't about us. Uh, See, here I go. Look at verse (laughs) 7 through 16. It says, but if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came from glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because the glory of his face, fading as it was, (coughs) how will the ministry of the Spirit fall fail to even be more with glory. For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case had no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. What's he talking about here? (coughs) The glory of God on Moses' face when he stood before the, the Lord was started to fade, so he wore a veil. He didn't want to be found out. Do you do stuff sometimes where you don't want to be found out? You, so we kind of fake it. What, what Paul said here, we don't have to fake it like Moses did. Verse 12 says, Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. We are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face, so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened, for until that very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it's removed in Christ. See, before we come to Christ, we're still stuck. There's a veil that has to be lifted. We can go to other churches in town here or in any community. You're going to have people, good Christians. There's people that believe that the basic part of every individual is goodness. There's not. Even a baby is born a sinling. I'm sorry. They are born a sinner. That's what we call them, sinlings. But, you know, as we start to grow, we, we teach each other how to fake it. And, and we, we, we don't do it deliberately. We don't have a class on how to fake your Christianity. It's just our human nature. But the Spirit gives life, and he goes on here. He said, but they're because it's removed in Christ. But to this day, Moses read, Moses has read, a veil lies over their heart, for whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. That new appeals transformation, the new attitude is a sense of confidence that Christ is in us. We can be different. We can be what God intended us to be. That's uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, 26-27, he says, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world that have been despised. God has chosen the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are, that no man should boast before God. As if we even thought we were great, but we do. And just to, Paul's just reminding us that, you know, we're really not great. The Corinthian church was fighting all the time about who was the greatest, who baptized you, who did this, who did that, who spoke, who didn't speak. It's immaterial. Because in the end, it's about Christ. 
and what he did and what his spirit did. Our inner confidence comes from the realization that Christ was crucified, he was buried, he rose, he's interceding for us and desires to empower us to accomplish the mission he's given us to do. That's the bottom line. There's, there's, there's no long story here. That's pretty, pretty right to the point. And Paul's saying we can have confidence in that. We had a family move from uh, Detroit area. They were jewelers, and they moved to our little small town of 1,600 people, came to our church, and they enjoyed the Bible teaching. But every year, the mother, uh, the father had died, and there was a, a son and uh, four daughters and a mother, and they ran this big jewelry enterprise. Frank was the only non-Jewish guy that sat on the diamond exchange in New York well-known in the jewelry business. They walked in our church. The women would go every year to a trip to New York and they would buy their clothes at Saks Fifth Avenue. They're coming into a church where we have dairy farmers. Um, Needless to say, they stuck out. And there are people in my church that really struggled with this. You know, they dressed to the nines every week. And I used to tell my elders, I said, I got some good news for you guys. They said, what's that? I said, at their heart, they're just as wicked as we are. <laughs> Up by the grace of God. I mean, who, 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 oh, Sarah Palin said you can put lipstick on a pig? It doesn't, it's still a pig. <laughs> you and I are still rotten at our sore, at our core, but by the grace of God, you and I would be there. You could dress up as much as you want. You could dress down as much as you want. That's not the point. But the point is, that doesn't make us better. It doesn't make us least. At the center, our confidence comes from Christ in us, period. That's where adequacy comes. That's, that's where we get our sense of security. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to share with you, if you go on and read 1 Corinthians, um, 1 and 2 Corinthians, but 2 Corinthians, you get to chapter 12, Paul says, he doesn't feel like, he feels so weak half the time. But it's in that weakness he senses the greatness of God and I want to assure you that's when you're going to sense it. It isn't when you're feeling the best. People say, well, I just want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and have all this power. Guess what? The power I've seen God working in me is usually when I'm feeling the dumbest or the, the, the most worthless. And in that, God chooses to still use me to his glory. That's when we see the power of God working. Again, it isn't about us. It's about our dependence upon the Father and allowing Christ in us to shine in those times. The new appeal, that was transformation. The new attitude, that's an inner confidence that comes from realizing we're Christ-centered. And there's that new awareness. Our adequacy is from him. Um, he goes on in First Corinthians, in, in Second Corinthians 4, 7, it says, But we have this treasure within the earth and earthen vessel, so that the surpassing greatness of power will be of God, not from ourselves. Again, Paul's just solidifying, guys. Don't get too pumped up about yourself, you know. But by the grace of God, we would be nothing. And in the midst of those unknown and fearful things and unknown, unexpected things we're going to go through in life, God will give us the strength of what we need right there at that particular moment. It doesn't mean we're not going to be in times when we're going to be very vulnerable. It doesn't mean we're not going to be in times where we feel broken. 
But the good news is that in the midst of it, we can have confidence in Christ will deliver us from that, through that, in that, and we have no clue what it's going to look like. That's, that's good news. And he gets honored in the midst of it. We are called, all called, priests of the Most High. God has a purpose and plan for us. In John chapter 15, 5, he said, He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. In the Greek, it's absolutely nothing. Can't do a thing. I used to wrench my gut over a sermon. Um, My average pastor... um, if he can get eight hours a week to do a sermon and take care of the people he's shepherding, he's doing well. If you speak more than once a week, we were I was speaking one time, uh, three times at our church, a different message, and I was speaking another one at another church we were starting. My time was just consumed with that. And I found I had to sit down, I had to pray, I had to give it to God, and I had to listen to what he wanted me to do and to say and let it be done with that. Beautiful here, this new awareness, our adequacy, it's not of ourselves. That guy that feels like he's got to push his car up a hill, we can giggle that all we want. But when we're around the impossible and there's doubt and there's fear and we start pushing our car, rather than stopping for a moment, and I like to get on my knees, Father, forgive me. Forgive me for my being prone to be in control. There's no other control freaks in here, is there? Nobody OCD in here? Yeah, that's what I thought. We still got to confess that, guys. It, 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 men and women, this might be our strength, but it's also our weakness. You say, God, we need you in here. We need you to show up in the midst of all this. And he finishes this um, uh, just, just in a beautiful way because God's called us to be priests and to be on mission here in Oak Ridge. But he, but he finishes this passage up in verse 17. He says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. By liberty, it means there's not legalism. It's not being conformed to a set of rules. It's being transformed from the inside out. We had a young man we led to Christ once in premarital counseling. She was a new believer, and he brought her to a, he, she brought him to our house for us to do counseling. It's always kind of an awkward thing. We knew she was a new believer. And so we proceeded to share Christ with Jason, and Jason came to faith in Christ. Never been in a church, never held a Bible in his hand. It was a Saturday night. He said, great. He said, I'm going to be in church tomorrow morning. No, I don't want you to come to church. He goes, what? I said, I want you to come to church. So let's meet for the next couple of weeks before you come to church. I want him to be transformed. I'm not a heretic. I was afraid of him conforming to how every other person in church acted, looked, and dressed, and rather than having him transformed for the inside out. That's transformation. That's having that new awareness, that new confidence, that new appeal. I, I wanted Jason to experience that and not show up the next morning and come to church and think, oh, this is how I have to act? What do I have to stop to be a Christian? No. You started on the on the starting line when you trusted Christ. Now you have to grow and learn from there. Paul said, but we all, 
with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Wow. You know, he started this chapter, ending chapter 2, where he says, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one an aroma from death to death, to another aroma from life. And, and who is adequate for these things? For we are not like many, peddling the word of the Lord, as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak Christ in the sight of God. That's why he goes into talking about Second Corinthians 3. You and I are our aroma. Christ in us, he's leading us in triumph. But I'll have to tell you, there's times when I look in the mirror and I don't think, feel very triumphal. And I don't feel like I even want to stand up sometimes. I'm just, I feel like I'm done. Ever, ever feel like you're done? It's in here, though, as we put our, again, that nuance where we say, Lord, here's my life again. Take me. Thank you that you are my confidence. Thank you that you are my adequacy. Thank you you are my security. Holy Spirit, take control of my life right now. And you know what Paul does with this? This is a beautiful. You come through 2 Corinthians 2, 3, and then look what he does in verse 1, and this is important for all of us. He says, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. Ever feel like you want to give up? Or you just, you're done. I sat with a couple one time, and I was in McKinley, Texas. I was doing some training at uh, a friend's church, Bruce Miller's church down there. I think it's called Christ Church. And there was a couple sitting at the table, and they had tried to start a church. And I said, what do you mean you tried? He said, well, we had a church going for seven years, and I had health problems, and I had to step out of ministry, and the elders decided to close the church, and they were just broken over it. I said, hold on, hold on. How many people in those seven years trusted Christ? How many of those seven years were encouraged in their faith? How many of those years did you serve with a meal and you take care of? I went through a whole litany of things with them, and they started to weep. See, it isn't about you know the church's expectations. It's about what God does in the midst of us, in the midst of those life situations he puts us in. We're all on a journey, friends. But we don't have to lose hope. We have confidence in the risen Christ living in us, through us, and I might add, in spite of us. And I'm so thankful for that. I hope you are too. Let me pray. Father, uh, thank you. Thank you for your goodness towards us. And that you love us so much, you sent your son. And Spirit of God, thank you that you dwell in us, Lord. Um, Our confidence is in Christ, our hope. And we give you the glory for it. And we thank you. And all of God's people said, amen. Lord willing, I'll be here next week.